Well, welcome to another session of On the Couch with myself, Henry Jennings, and I'm really looking forward to today's session with another returnee joining me on the couch this week, Julia Lee. Just before we do, though, I've got to say that everything we talk about here is general advice only, so please do your own research, contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas, or insights in this podcast, and if you need to, please just speak to your financial advisor. But otherwise, let's kick this off. Welcome, Julia. It's great to have you back in the studio on the couch with me. Thanks for having me back. It's always great to chat to you, Henry. So how's the, how's the fund been going recently? How's the, uh, the market been treating you? Good. I mean, there's a bit of volatility still here in the, the markets, but um, that volatility is great, I think, for shorter-term positions. Longer term, it's a little bit more nerve-wracking. I guess looking at the type of markets that we've seen throughout the decades, you know, it's pretty normal to see a boom and bust cycle. So I guess mm-hmm. a big question for investors is whether we've seen the seeds of the next boom cycle with all the money being pumped in through central banks and governments around the globe or whether we're still in the process of the bust cycle. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, the whole um, this whole conversation that a lot of people have been having and a lot of... Uh, I guess the general public, I get lots of emails from some of our members saying, how can how can the market be at sort of these sort of record highs? I mean, looking at the NASDAQ and even the US market is not far off its record highs. When the world is in such a dire place at the moment, the economies are trashed. This great disconnect, how do you explain that to people when they ask you the same question? I mean, there's been plenty of times in the market where there's been a disconnect with reality versus what's happening in markets. And we think back to the tech wreck back in 2000, back in 1999, where retail mm. investors were joining sort of online trading for the first time and helping create that bubble. I guess we are sort of in bubble territory if you think about where valuations are compared to reality. However, the thing with bubbles is that they can go on for much longer than people think. So it it may not be a month-by-month thing, but it might actually be something that lasts for years. So the big question is um, sort of how to handle those bubbles because sometimes it's during those bubbles that you see the greatest returns from the equity market. So how do you control the risk side of things and potentially that bubble creaking? So, so how do you, I mean, if, if we're looking at the bubbles and we're looking at specific stocks and we'll talk about some later, how do you control the risk? Is that just a question of uh, cash levels in your portfolio or do you use some sort of uh, derivative exposure through options? How, how, do, how do you manage the risk? We look at a combination. So we look at it through stock exposure, through more of the defensive sectors. So we do hold some of the golds in our sectors as well as some high yielding and stable income type stocks. Um, And another layer is also through options where we use Mm. puts. We buy puts to hedge against volatility. But also we have an asset allocation model across the top of our stock portfolio, which uh, signals to us when to move to cash. And really when I look at the market, I look at it through a trifocal lens so at the top of it looking at it through the macro lens and then in the middle there's looking at it through the fundamental or the valuation and the company side of things and the third side of things is the technical or charts which is really about the timing side of the market. Mm. You know, I think it's great to uh, to see that you're combining all three of those because I think the more tools that investors have in their toolbox, the better. And just ignoring one and forsaking that at the expense of uh, of going down a particular road can be quite dangerous sometimes. And, and I think investors need all the all the help they can get. So since we spoke last time, which is a month or so ago, I guess, well, has anything that surprised you in the market? Anything sort of stood out for you that's uh, that's changed or the mood changing? Anything standing out? 
I think I've been surprised by how resilient the market has been. Um, I was hoping for a few more opportunities um, to get in at cheaper prices, but really um, valuations have continued upwards. Uh, One of the areas where we have seen a bit of deflation coming through is the travel sector, uh, given Mm. the update that we've seen not only from Qantas yesterday and the capital raising that came through, but also looking at the situation in the US, Brazil and India and how that's likely to impact impact on international travel and for how long. So I think when it comes to the travel sector, the market's really gone from pricing in a 12-month disruption to now a 24 to 36-month disruption to international travel. And it does look like until a vaccine is found and able to be distributed, uh, that we will see travel disruptions on an international scale. And we might see a bit of travel in terms of country bubbles or um, Mm. area bubbles, which might allow... Uh, travel to for Australians to places like New Zealand, um, maybe even Fiji. But uh, international travel, as we know it, is probably on hold for at least the next two years. Yeah, it's a bit sad, isn't it? I, I remember during the first phases of lockdown and people were talking about uh, no no international travel for three or four months, maybe. I was resorting to watching movies and things on Netflix and Stan that had travel components in. I, I was drawn towards James Bond movies because they were always in, in exotic locations and I figured that was the way of at least living some vicarious travel. But um, it now seems as if we're going to be domestically bound for a a little while longer. So we've got, of course, we're coming towards the end of the financial year and then July and August, which is a a crucial time for our market, August being results season and one or two confessions, I would imagine, coming out in July and US reporting season. What what sort of things are you expecting to see in the the next couple of months in terms of uh, corporate results and confessions and uh, I guess, more importantly, the outlook going forward. Well, I think most investors know that this reporting season is going to be a fairly difficult one to get through. The big question that I'm watching is the reaction to some of these reports, whether investors just look through what's been a tumultuous period and look through through to FY22 and invest on that basis or whether we do see opportunities coming through. Um, And really when we do see big moves, the question I ask myself is, are these business conditions going to last forever or they, or are they really a once-off? And if they are a once-off and the market tends to price them as lasting forever, then usually an investment opportunity is, is present. And I guess investors tend to have a bit of tunnel vision uh, when it comes to results. And there's been a number of academic studies that have shown that investors tend to overweight near-term information, and that is recent information into the share price and overlook, I guess, um, things that are further out. And a great example of that was the drought, where the market was pricing in the drought to last forever. And of course, droughts are usually quite cyclical, even with climate change happening. Um, And of course, now we've seen the drought broken and a lot of those agricultural stocks doing very well in 2020. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting, I guess. I'm, I suspect it's going to be a bit like when you see the, the changing of the guard in terms of the management of a company sometimes. They do tend to use that as a, a sort of a taking the trash out exercise. And I get the feeling that maybe this reporting season, we're going to see a little bit of that, the, the coronavirus giving companies cover and uh, an excuse to really radically change their businesses in some respects. I know a lot of people talking about 
know digitization and uh, and online etc and that is accelerating even Qantas were uh, were banging on about going digital uh, yesterday in their presentation I'm not quite sure how you do that with an airline uh, <laughs> flying people but um, be that as it may where do you see the market going in the in the short term I guess you know it's the question on everyone's lips we've, we nearly got to 6,000 we'll be to get to 6,000 coming off a little bit at the moment where do you see the market uh, going in the next sort of three months to six months well, I think in the next three months, um, there's probably going to be volatility in individual stocks, given that it is coming up to confession season and then reporting season. And then um, post that, I think it's going to be all about the US elections. Generally, mm. you know, US election year does tend to be a very positive one for markets as the candidates try and win votes. And then it's usually the year after a US election has occurred where it's more difficult economic times where they try and improve implement some of the harder policies in that first year of office. But this year, I think it's a little bit different given that coronavirus is front and centre and COVID-19. So I think it does depend on the trajectory of the virus over in the US because that might actually be a focal point of the US elections and a big stumbling block for Trump, especially if we see conditions worsen into November rather than getting better. So I think uh, the health crisis is still with us and we'll need to watch that very closely. Having said that, look, I do look for short-term disruptions and short-term impacts and um, they provide shorter-term trading opportunities as well. So to give you an example, I guess in the medical area, where people have put off um, having tests and um, imaging and blood tests and things like this because they're worried about coronavirus. What you see in in those instances is those tests can't be put off forever and you see mm. um, a level of pent-up demand. So what you will most likely see is a period where you see extreme underperformance and then a period where you see extreme outperformance. I think for investors it's very important not to price uh, those companies too optimistically during those periods of outperformance because once again they're abnormal periods and things are likely to get back to normalization in the next three or four years. But for shorter term uh, traders or shorter term there are some shorter term opportunities there. Um, So an example is a stock that we have. We have Helios. We bought into Helios because we didn't believe that the market was Uh, valuing the medical center business in the area of pathology and imaging we think there's going to be a good bounce back so it should be a a relatively positive next 12 months for companies like Helios and probably Sonic Healthcare as well I went to get a a blood test uh, this week Mm. and I waited 40 minutes outside it was free yeah (laughs) <laughs> and then I had to go get an x-ray as well on the same type of thing. Oh. So I think people are returning to get the type of tests that they, they need done as they get more confident moving out and about. And, of course, that has implications for Toro's car-related companies and uh, the other type of companies that would ben- benefit from movement. Yeah, I, I guess it's. Uh, I think it's about eighty-nine trading days to go till the U.S. election. So this is going to start looming quite large in the uh, in the in the windscreen, I guess, of investors going forward. And my, my concern is whoever wins. I mean, it, if if Trump loses, can you imagine the sniping he will do and the undermining he will do from the from the side? And uh, all his supporters as well. And of course, if uh, if Trump wins, uh, then that will probably be a positive for the market as well. So it's going to be a really interesting 
time, I guess, going forward, especially uh, with such a momentous choice, I guess, for the US, which seems to be quite fractured at the moment. So what um, what sectors out there? We've, we've talked a, bit, a little bit about the healthcare sector. What other sectors are you looking at in the market at the moment, I guess, either from a recovery or that they've recovered too much and that you're looking to avoid at the moment? Is there anything that stands out for you? Probably avoiding the travel uh, space. We did hold WebJet after the capital raising, but uh, yeah. we, we, we sold it probably around a month ago now. And that's because the market was being way too optimistic on when travel and how travel was going to bounce back. So mm. uh, I'm pretty happy with that move. Um, yeah. <laughs> otherwise, uh, we, we do remain pretty diversified uh, looking across the portfolio, so especially in terms of the financial space. Our NAB shares are doing well after picking those up after the capital raising. We have some Commonwealth Bank as well. I guess um, just a little bit of cautiousness around some of the insurance space, the private health insurance space. I think Medibank Private and NIB should be interesting ones over the next 12 months, given that they're likely to see a reduction in claims during this COVID-19 period, given that people weren't going out. But of course, mm. with health issues, longer you you put it off usually the worse the consequences so i'd suspect the next from 18 months onwards that you see a higher claims coming through for those health insurance so short term i think things are going to look pretty rosy this reporting season with stocks like nib and uh, medibank private but i'd look to sell into any strength because i think you know having a look across the next 18 months onwards i think that things might be a bit more difficult there in terms of claims Yes, I, I think that certainly that's something we're seeing. And I guess um, it's a question of, uh, you know, they are consumer stocks to some some degree. And if people don't have the money and are cutting back on certain expenses in their household, medical insurance is certainly one of the biggest. I know it seems to cost a fortune for uh, for my wife and I to uh, to get our private health insurance. And I'm not sure we get massive value for our um thousand dollars a quarter or whatever it is it just seems to keep going up and up so what what's your favorite stock at the moment what stock are you really convicted about i know berman invest is a, is a high conviction fund and it's not an index hugger it's not looking at indexes it's it's really about oh. making absolute money isn't it yes uh, so I, I do like companies with improving outlook so the, those ones yeah. that are in an upgrade cycle so we hold a number of those stocks but a little bit different at the moment uh, one of the stocks that we hold is very much an income stock so I thought I'd run through that given that it's very sure. hard to find stable income at the moment. So this sure is, is Chatterhall Whale, CLW is the stock code. The reason I like it is because the weighted average leasing expiry is 14 and a half years, which is a very long leasing period, and it has a forecast yield of 7%. Now, the worry with a lot of these uh, property trusts is that you do see tenants um, either cutting down on their need for how much space they need, or um, you do see rent cuts coming through. But if you have a look at this property trust, I mean, 75% is investment grade tenants like governments or Coles distribution centres or Telstra exchange towers, uh, things that really are relatively stable. And there's a more than 99% tenancy rate there at the moment. So they do pay a distribution quarterly. So I believe there is one coming up uh, next week on the 29th of the 6th. Yeah. Um, is when it trades ex dividend. Um, so, you know, a distribution, a forecast yield of about 7% in an environment where yields are still under pressure 
and where stability of income is a concern in that property space, uh, CLW is looking like a relative bargain, I think. So I'd expect this company to grow by about 12 to 15%, including distributions as well as the capital growth side over the next 12 months. Yeah, I've got to say, I looked at this one because it was asked as a question on uh, the Osby session I did last, uh, well, this week. And I had to look up what whale stood for because I'm, I'm a bit of a dummy. So I had to look up what W-A-L-E stands for. And uh, you, you nailed it there. But they do have a, a massive diversity of properties and they don't seem to have the same exposure or concentrated exposure to retail or any one sector. And as you say, you know, a lot of government exposure there, which is kind of sticky and the government tends to uh, to pay its rent on time mostly. So, yeah, it's it's certainly one that uh, piqued my interest having looked at it a little closer because I don't usually look at REITs uh, in that much detail. Anything else out there, especially in the defensive, I guess, at the moment that's caught your eye? Uh, we still uh, hold gold at the moment. Oh, yeah. Uh, so gold's done quite well for us in 2020. So mm. continuing to hold that gold exposure, given that we are seeing uh, spot gold prices now at almost 17.70 US an ounce and the Aussie dollar back with a 68 handle in front of it. Given the amount of support that's coming through from governments and central banks around the globe, I think gold will continue mm. to be well supported there. And yeah. then I guess just looking at the recovery story, I guess one of the stocks I'm avoiding at the moment is Aurora. They have gone ex-dividend as well as ex-capital uh, ex distribution. Yeah. And this is a company that looks at glass bottles, cans, packaging equipment. And we have, um, we have seen a, a, a fair amount of commentary coming through from some of the beverage type of companies like Coca-Cola, Amatel and Treasury Wine Estates. And we know that it's pretty difficult out there because hospitality has been under pressure. And I guess with Aurora, it's their North uh, American business that I'm concerned about where they supply and service retail, entertainment, convenience and manufacturing. In fact, 20% of their North American business sales comes from Texas, where we know things are yeah, escalating pretty good. quickly. And the other area is 40% of revenue comes from California, where also we are seeing uh, things on the increase in terms of COVID-19. So Aurora, I think a great quality company. But I think uh, it will come under pressure given their North American business and their exposure to things like retail, entertainment, convenience and manufacturing. Yeah, Texas looks a bit of a, a bit of a, a mess at the moment, I must admit. I, I was quite keen on Ardent Leisure and they did that deal recently with, uh, with the private equity group in terms of their main event bowling alley business in, the, in Texas or in the US. But Texas was a bit of a focus on that. And of course, the uh, continuing pandemic there and the expanding pandemic has really put a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a, a wet blanket on that particular story just it. at the moment. So maybe maybe I went a little early in that one. Yes, we'll have to see. Now, now, Julia, you are fantastic at presenting, and you've got a wealth of experience and knowledge. We we've got a whole bunch of uh, of newbies, uh, new investors, and, and new members that have joined uh, the Marcus Today family recently. And I think you know we've seen this in the US with Robin Hood, that massive growth in retail uh, investors coming to the market and seeing it as, as an alternative. Is there any sort of advice you'd give to, to new investors coming to this market, any sort of overriding advice that uh, you, you'd love to impart? How, how long do we have? I can go on for days. <laughs> I, know you, I know you can. I think the reason I say that is because I, I think it's absolutely fantastic that people take an interest in investing, even if it is during these periods where the market is a bit more difficult to navigate. And look, I, I joined the market during the tech boom and it was one of the most exciting investing periods of my yeah. life. 
So <laughs> I guess uh, the thing I would say is that a lot of people, when they start investing and you ask them what they want to achieve, usually the answer is I want to make as much money as possible. and that that creates i guess it makes people take a lot more risk than they um, probably should so um, when you're starting out investing i would say start out on the lower end of the risk spectrum so start investing shares instead of using derivatives or options or cfds and then as you get more comfortable with investing to take on a bit more risk and go up the risky end more riskier end of the spectrum don't start off with high risk from the start because i think like most trades um, it takes two or three years really to get your head around the the fundamentals and the basics of investing and if you were to become um, an common economist a doctor or even a plumber you know you'd look at at least two to three years training so look at it as a a journey to pick up skills that you can use for the rest of your life to be able to make money rather Mm. than a short-term get rich quick scheme I think plumbers have to do more training than doctors in some respects. They certainly seem to get paid more than doctors. It's, <laughs> it's, extraordinary. it's extraordinary how much plumbers cost. Uh, never, never ceases to amaze me. I, I miss my vocation big time. I should have been there with the pipes and the uh, and the gas and the water. It would have been. Maybe I should have been a plumber too, Henry. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe we should go back to uh, to TAFE and learn the, the the joys of plumbing. I think I'm a little little old for uh, for for new tricks though. So, any okay, one more, one more thing to uh, to share about starting out on your share investing journey. Anything else that we can just close our, our wonderful podcast and our time with you with? Ah, uh, well, one of my hobbies is reading academic research to do with the markets. I love it, um, but I guess a good. And I love it because I only have so much time and so much experience in markets. So I like to read to get an idea of different market conditions where, you know, I, I wasn't around um, back then to experience those type of market conditions. And look, I like to apply it to the Australian market, but I like to test it first because a lot of those studies that happen offshore, often the Australian market just doesn't follow suit. Uh, an example is a small cap premium where in other markets, uh, smaller caps, uh, they trade at a premium because of the extra risk that you've taken. But if you have a look at a longer period over the Australian share market, you know, that's actually not the case. And I suspect it's because of the dividends on our markets and large caps providing that stable stream of dividends, which when reinvested, um, you know, equalizes the playing field in a lot of ways, which is pretty amazing. I've got to say, Julia, I've come a cropper to your love of reading academic research about markets. It's so interesting, isn't it? Well, I remember doing a a debate with you on the Gold Coast for an AIA conference, debating about the merits of uh, women being better investors than men. And you absolutely were brilliant. And uh, we we stood no chance, I think, from memory. So, um, yes. You, your uh, your research is is formidable, I have to say. Julia Lee, it's been an absolute delight once again to have you uh, in the studio and on the couch with me today. I've really enjoyed our chat. As usual, a, a fantastic consummate professional. Thank you, Julia. It's been a, a delight, and I'd love to have you back in the studio at some stage in the future. Great. Thanks again. Great to chat to you, Henry. Look forward to having a drink soon. That would be a good idea. Thanks again, Julia. Mm-hmm.